0: All
1: right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Please be seated. When are we ready?
0: Good morning, Your Honor. John Goodchild, Morgan Lewis and Bacchus here on behalf of the emergent debtor. Uh, Your Honor, we had three motions on for today, one of which which was the exclusivity motion was, uh, I think I believe we submitted a, a certificate of no objection to that. I uh, was not sure whether Your Honor desired a, a presentation on the ex- extension of exclusivity.
1: But that I don't is think I've pers- seen that, but if you have a COC, I'll take a look at it and we'll get that entered for you.
0: The two, mo- the two other motions are contested. That is the uh, motion for post-petition financing, which is docket 3024, and the motion for a protocol around payment of offshore firms, and that's Docket 4098. These motions fit together because they relate to uh, the interplay between this court and this proceeding versus the Antiguan proceeding for the emergent debtor. Uh, Your Honor, we have discussed with the United States trustee, which is the sole objector. Uh, BlockFi's uh, questions have been resolved. FTX's questions have been resolved. We are in a situation in which the the only objecting party is the United States trustee. We have conferred with the United States trustee and have agreed that with the court's permission, we'll make a single record to support both of the motions.
1: Yeah. That's fine. They're interrelated. so
0: They are interrelated, yes. Yes, Your Honor. To do that, Your Honor, we have in the courtroom uh, Ms. Angela Barkhouse, who is one of the Antiguan appointed, court-appointed liquidators of the emergent debtor. Uh, so, Ms. Barkhouse, could you stand just to let the court... That, I believe, will be the only live witness, Your Honor. Uh, we've, in discussion with the U.S. trustee, we've decided that uh, with the court's permission uh, we'll do very short openings, move to the presentation of Ms. Barkhouse's testimony, and then obviously if Your Honor desires argument after that, we can go that way. Is that okay. all right with Your Honor? That's fine. Thank all right. you. All right. Well, uh, with respect to the evidence, we have uh, Before we Bar- go any
1: further, did you sign in? I see no one here your side of the table. Your Honor, I think I did not. Uh, I may I approach you. your Honor? Approach, yes. I sent this in, Your Honor. I don't appear, it doesn't show up. On here. Is there another sheet somewhere? Yeah. May I approach? Yes, thank you.
0: Your Honor, from my perspective, the evidence in support of both motions will consist of two declarations from Ms. Barkhouse. Uh, one is Docket Entry 3024 2, which was submitted along with the post petition financing motion. And then we are also relying upon the first day declaration, uh, which uh, is Docket Entry. Three in the emergent case, and Your Honor, uh, recall that after the beginning of the emergent case, there, Your Honor entered an, a limited joint administration that changed all the emergent filings so that they appear on the FTX trading docket. The original first day declaration is on a separate emergent docket, and it's docket entry number three. There were several exhibits attached to those declarations that we are submitting to be part of the record. The liquidation order, which is an Antiguan court order, the liquidation order dated July 14, 2023, which is Exhibit 1 to the Barkhouse Declaration at 3024. The summary of litigation conducted by Samuel Bankman Freed in Antigua, which is Exhibit 2 to the Barkhouse Declaration. Transcript of proceedings, which is the record of a judgment of the Antiguan Court dated December 28, 2022, so about a year ago. That's Exhibit 3 to the Barcast Declaration. The Joint Provisional Liquidation Order, which is the order that preceded the liquidation order at Exhibit A1, the Joint Provision provisional liquidation order is dated December 5, 2022. That's Exhibit B to the Barkhouse Declaration. As I said, the first-day declaration of Angela Barkhouse, Docket 3 on the emergent docket, and then, of course, Your Honor, uh, Ms. Barkhouse's testimony. Your Honor, that record, once completed, we believe it will show that the post-petition financing is a sound exercise of the liquidator's business judgment and that a reasonable business person would make a similar decision under the circumstances. We believe the evidence will show the debtor here faces unusual financing constraints given the seizure of the assets. And recall, Your Honor, the assets of the emergent debtor have been seized by the Department of Justice by uh, order from January of 2023. The evidence will show the liquidators have tested the lending market extensively and that no unsecured lending is available and that the only financing available is at high rates, if at all, and you will see in the US Trustee's objection, Your Honor, that one of the US Trustee's objections is to the terms, the, the rates associated with this, with this loan. Well, there are, there are high rates and there are outrageous rates. Yes, Your Honor, I understand that that is an issue, Your Honor, uh, it is also true, Your Honor, we're talking about a $300,000 advance the uh, size of the advance will be a part of the evidentiary presentation. The evidence will show the DIP is necessary to keep critical offshore professionals working. And we're really only talking here about King's Council, and that person is an independent contractor. Your Honor is probably familiar with how King's Council or Queen's Council before uh, the unfortunate passing of Queen Elizabeth, how those folks are compensated. Uh, they're not like large law firms. And uh, there was a need created by the use of King's Council and the need for King's Counsel. And at the end, we will show that the pricing and the size are appropriate to the facts and circumstances, and that it is imperative to prevent Sam Bankman Fried from regaining control of the company, which is the result if the antiguan litigation cannot be continued. As I said, neither of the debtors' creditors, FTX, nor BlockFi, objects. We have agreed to changes in the proposed order after discussions with both FTX and BlockFi. The changes clarify that the DIP lien, if Your Honor, grants, will be subordinate to any pre-existing interest. There's no priming lien component. There's no roll-up. There's no need to show adequate protection. With respect to the... Offshore professionals, the evidence will show the liquidators and the Antigua professionals are already operating under the oversight of the Antiguan court. These are all court-appointed firms. The approval includes any approval of any payment. So no matter what happens with your honor in this proceeding, there is an Antiguan proceeding for the approval of any payment to any of these uh, firms. But this isn't a 15, it's an 11. That is correct, Your Honor. You are right. The evidence will show that none of the Antiguan professionals have any role in the Chapter 11 case. The liquidators, Ms. Barkhouse and Ms. Shukla, who is not in the courtroom, they do have a role, but they act as officers of the Antiguan court and in furtherance of the duties imposed by that court. And, Your Honor, I grant it is an 11, I understand. At the end, we'll ask Your Honor to grant that motion because it will avoid costly duplication of effort. It will subject the professional's activity to the scru- scrutiny of the court best able to evaluate their activities, meaning the activities in the Antiguan litigation. It's consistent with precedent from other cross-border cases. And it is our view that neither the liquidators nor the Antiguan firms, the offshore firms, qualify within the definition of professional persons under three twenty seven and a line of cases followed in this circuit with respect to that. Does your honor have any questions? No, thank you.
2: Good morning, Your Honor. Linda Richendurfer from the Office of the United States Trustee. As you may have guessed, I have been chosen to try to fill the very big shoes of Juliet Sarkeesian upon her retirement. So this is my first time appearing in front of you in the FTX matters, but uh, you'll be seeing me for days to come <laughs> in different aspects of these cases. Um, y- Your Honor, to be clear, the U.S. trustee agrees with the goal of the joint liquidators, which is to keep the assets under control. and to not allow them to become subject to the control of Samuel Bankman Freed or the other 10 percent shareholder of Emergent. But we have to look at a couple of facts here. Once, one point is that the assets are right now under the control, quite frankly, of the U.S. Department of Justice. Um, they were seized in January and the shares were liquidated in September. No. no one is touching those assets until they go through the Department of Justice. And in light of the fact that Mr. Mankman Fried was found guilty and that the 10% shareholder of Emergent pled guilty, I don't think that those assets are leaving the control of the Department of Justice anytime soon. The joint liquidators' goal, they made the decision that to reach that goal, they needed to file this Chapter 11 case, and when they filed the case, they gained the protection of the automatic stay, sort of a belt and suspenders, I guess, if you will, again, making it clear that actions to touch the assets had to go through this court. And in order to make use of the protections set forth in the bankruptcy code, a debtor must, as the quid pro quo, also then comply with the bankruptcy statutes and rules and relevant case law. And that brings us first to the DIP. Um, Your Honor already made a remark about the interest rate. I can't conceive of a case where it ever hit triple digits, the percentage for the interest rate. And the fact that it's for a small amount of money, Your Honor, almost makes it worse because we're talking about a dip lender who was the pre-petition lender and already has approximately $11 million on the line here and not quite clear what the interest rate is for that 11 million as you saw in our objection uh, we tried to work out the interest rate by backing into what the numbers were that would be due on certain dates, weren't successful with that. So we go from those interest rates who, that clearly I don't believe in any way could be over 50% and probably weren't over 30%. And we go all of a sudden into, okay, 300000 more, but we want 150% interest or 200% or 250% interest. Um, I would also submit, Your Honor, that the current record, which may be expounded upon before, Your Honor, today, does not explain to us what was done to shop this loan. All we have is a blanket statement. We don't know what was done. We do know, though, as noted in our objection to the professional's motion, I'll call it, that the lender not only loaned money pre-petitioned, wants to lend $300,000, they are also now out there buying FTX claims and FTX is one of the creditors of Emergent. So we have a situation where we have a pre-petition lender and we have somebody who is a creditor of Emergent saying to give you $300,000 to protect this estate, I want 200% interest or 150% interest. And the due dates just are way too soon because there is no other source of funding for this estate other than the funds that are in the hands of the U.S. Department of Justice. And there is no indication that that money is going to be released to emergent, even partially, in time to make those payments. So we really are setting ourselves up for a situation where we're going to be looking at the higher interest rates, plus the default rate of 5%, which is almost Negligible in the grand scheme of things, the other concern your honor is is that this is the foot in the door, and we may see the debtor come back. We don't want to see this dip loan expanded upon in the future because we will tell you and it will come out during the evidence that the professionals in Antigua are owed far more than three hundred thousand um, dollars. they are owed at least. million, um, I'm going to ask the witness different questions about the MORs to try to figure out exactly how much they're all owed, but it's at least $3 million, so it's unclear why this $300,000 payment um, is so necessary at this point. The motion did mention the appeal, though the appeal was already argued the end of October, um, and we'll have to hear from Ms. Barkhouse as to what the current status is, but It's my understanding, was argued the end of October as was stated in the DIP motion. Moving on to the professional motion. As your honor also noted, this is chapter eleven, it's not a chapter fifteen. In every single one of the debtors, MORs, it represented that it was going to work on a cross border insolvency protocol. And in fact, there were efforts made during the summertime. And there is a draft that's pretty much complete, but the debtors never moved forward with that. And it's one thing to say, okay, this is the give and take that's gonna be in this cross-border insolvency protocol that's going to be abided by by both courts. And it's another thing to come to this court and say, okay, we are giving your honor what we see in the cross-border cases, but they're doing it out of context. They lifted one paragraph out of the protocol I think it's almost word for word from the one in Nortel, they left one paragraph out about the Antiguan court overseeing the fees and the um, engagements in this case, I'm sorry, in the Antiguan court proceedings. The other way in which these things are often handled is 327 I've been involved in many cases where the debtor had to initiate foreign proceedings didn't have a 15 but needed representation and came to the court with 327 E-Motions for retention of professionals in the foreign jurisdiction. Neither of those processes have been followed here. Instead, Your Honor is being asked to approve $300,000, there's no budget, we're told the money's going to go straight to these professionals, and we're not going to have any insight, there's no transparency into how that money is being spent. So Your Honor is proving funds will flow right out the door and this court won't have oversight into how they are processed, who gets them, and where they go. And that is part of the concern we have, Your Honor. To be clear again, the U.S. Trustee does not in any way question the goals of the joint liquidators. We don't question the notion that they need counsel and professionals to represent them in those proceedings. What we do is we question the process by which they are trying to gain approval of further loans and gain this court's comfort order, basically, to say that the Antiguan court, whatever that process is, and we'll question Ms. Barkhouse about that, whatever that process is, um, is sufficient, and that Your Honor doesn't need to worry about where money that is becoming a debt of this estate, this, this court has no control over where it goes, no oversight into where it goes. Unless Your Honor has any questions, I'll can jump into the I guess the evidentiary portion. Okay,
1: thank you, no questions at this time. May I proceed, Your Honor? Yes, go ahead.
0: Before we call Ms. Barkhouse, I'd like to move for the admission of the documentary exhibits that I mentioned. Any objection? No, your
2: honor.
0: Admitted without objection.
1: <clears throat> Moving calls Angela Barcas Ms. Markhouse, please come forward. Take the stand and remain standing for the oath. Please raise your right hand.
3: Please state your full name and spell your last name for the court record, please. Angela Jessica Barkhouse, B A R K H O U S E. Do you affirm that you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the best of your knowledge and abilities? I do. You may be seated, Your
1: Honor. Thank you.
0: Good morning, Ms. Barkhouse. Good morning. Could you introduce yourself to the court and let the court know who you are and what you do, please?
3: Absolutely. I am a insolvency. Can
1: you move the microphone closer, please? Sure. please yeah. Sorry.
3: I am a insolvency practitioner and asset recovery expert. I deal with the investigation and recovery of financial losses, normally where there has been financial mm-hmm. crime or misconduct or misfeasance. Some of my cases that I can highlight are the investigation of the former president of the Republic of Maldives for embezzlement of funds and also on, as an expert for the United Nations Development Programme, investigating corruption and the closure of cases for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for Tunisia after Ben Ali, and also I'm currently investigating and recovering losses for the 1MDB, 1 1MD Malaysia financial scandal, which is 7.65 billion loss. Most of my cases involve um, elements of cross-border oh, I, let's, um let, Let's multiple. wait till we have
1: a... Another question. Sure. You're going beyond the scope of the question. Thank you. Uh,
0: Ms. Barkhouse, you mentioned you were an an expert in asset recovery and fraud. Uh, Could you uh, give the court a sense of uh, whether you received any designations, do you have training experience in that region?
3: Sure. So I am a uh, qualified accountant, so I'm a fellow of the Association of Certified Chartered Accountants in the UK. I have a degree in Applied Accounting, I also have a Master's in Criminal Justice Policy Um, I'm a certified fraud examiner from the ACFE in the United States, um, and I am qualified to act as an insolvency practitioner in the Cayman Islands, the BVI, I'm appointed in Antigua, DIFC, and in Samoa.
0: When did you first become a licensed insolvency practitioner in any jurisdiction? Uh,
3: In the British Virgin Islands in 2017 is when I first took on, um, was appointed personally over cases in insolvency.
0: In this case, in the emergent case, You and Ms. Shukla are appointed as joint liquidators, right? Yes. What was the process by which you and Ms. Shukla were appointed by the Antiguan court?
3: So uh, the petitioning creditor, who in this case was Ben Shimon, had sought the protection of the Antiguan court to have a receivership placed over the assets of Emergent and of Sandbank and Freed. The petitioning creditor um, is able to put forward nominated individuals, and he asked for us to be put forward based on our expertise and our experience in cross-border asset recovery. Uh, that, that petition was put forward to the court, and that was granted by the court.
0: And when were you appointed as provisional liquidator of Emergent?
3: Uh, provisional liquidator of immersion, I was appointed on the 5th of December, 2022.
0: Just for context, as of December 5 of 2022, had emergence assets been seized by the Department of Justice?
3: No. Um, and in fact, at the time of the receivership order, which was on the 18th of November, FTX was um, falling over. And there was uh, Ben Shimon who had understood that there had funds that had gone into emergent um had information that Sam bankman was trying to sell the Robin Hood assets at a significant discount, and he was extremely worried that these assets were going to be dissipated and liquidated without any control. That's why he petitioned the Antiguan court to take control of those assets. When we then tried to seek information from Sam bankman himself, which he didn't respond to, we then petitioned for the winding up of emergent, and that happened on the 5th of December.
0: Has the Antiguan court entered a winding up order for emergent?
3: Yes, on the 23rd of March. Of this year? Of this year.
0: In the emergent case, could you give the court a sense of what your duties are as a court appointed liquidator?
3: As a court appointed liquidator, it is our duty to investigate what happened that led to the insolvency or to the financial distress of a company and particularly where there is allegations of financial wrongdoing, we are asked to find out the provenance of funds and the destination of funds thereon. We are also expected to preserve those assets for the benefit of the creditors, whoever they may be.
0: You mentioned that that part of those duties was a kind of investigation into the events leading up to the liquidation and uh, sources and uses of funds. Did I hear you right? Yes. Did you do that in this case?
3: We did. and more specifically so, after the stipulation agreement was entered into, we were able then to obtain production uh, from FTX and BlockFi, and that allowed us to identify the provenance of funds into emergent, which was not, as Sam Bankman-Fried had said in his affidavit, was as a result of promissory notes. In fact, that was very inaccurate.
0: You had mentioned the stipulation. Make sure that we clarify. Uh, I believe the court is going to remember this stipulation, but what, what stipulation are you talking about?
3: So the stipulation agreement that the parties BlockFi and FTX and emergent would not enter into litigation to determine the ownership of the assets of the emergent, which at no point have we tried to do.
0: And you referred to a production of documents or information related to that stipulation. How does the stipulation relate to your ability to get information?
3: It allowed us to obtain information from FTX because we had been seeking for some time to obtain information from them and we were unable to do so directly.
0: And and did you receive information from FTX?
3: We did. We received it over a period of time, probably around six months in total, over three different tranches.
0: Have you analyzed that
3: evidence? We have. On each production stage we had to ask for more information because the production wasn't necessarily complete and that allowed us to get to the point where we are at today where we have identified where the provenance of funds came from and that, in fact, there may be even more creditors than currently we know of.
0: You had mentioned the involvement of Sam Bankman-Fried and how the result of your investigation differs from some things that Sam Bankman-Fried has said. Uh, Could could you explain what Sam Bankman-Fried has been doing, if anything, while you have been doing what you need to do as emergence liquidator?
3: From the very outset, we have dealt with no less than fifteen applications by Sandbank and Freed in Antigua to stay, strike out, or to appeal against the decisions to appoint us as receivers or liquidators. Uh, he's agitated the Antiguan court to get us to to get the court to turn over the company um, back to Sandbank and Freed. Um, and the court has agreed with us that it must remain within independent control.
0: The the applications in question, did you hire counsel to represent you in connection with those applications? We
3: had no choice to. Uh, You need to have counsel to advocate in the courts in Antigua. There are only two King's counsel that are admitted in Antigua, and we had one of those very luckily, um, who has been extremely, extremely valuable to us.
0: Why was it necessary to hire King's counsel in order to uh, do that litigation in Antigua?
3: Uh, quite frankly, in Antigua, everybody was taken up already. You had Sam Bankman-Fried with his lawyers. You had the DOJ with their lawyers, BlockFi. You had FTX Digital. You had FTX. The uh, the remaining uh, legal counsel was, was very limited, um, and we were extremely lucky to have found David Joseph.
0: You were in the courtroom during the opening statements, right? Uh, counsel for the U.S. trustee... Um, asked some questions or raised some questions regarding the total amount of fees that are owed to the, um, the non-US law firms and to uh, your firm, Quantuma. Do you, do you recall that she said something like yes, that? Yes, I did. All right. Hey, do you, just so we can jump to that for a second. Could you give the court a sense of the different professional firms that we're talking about here, not Morgan Lewis, which is the U.S. counsel, but the different professional firms and how much each of those professional firms is owed currently?
3: Is that including pre-petition or just post-petition?
0: Well, perhaps I should ask a different question. Uh, With respect to any of these professional firms, are there unpaid amounts that relate to periods of time before the... This bankruptcy petition was filed.
3: No, so all of the individuals were paid um, by the funding agreement um, prior to the Chapter 11, um, because we did not want to end up with an unsecured creditor basis for these individuals, who have served um, a very good purpose um, and had preserved those assets prior to the mm-hmm. DOJ seizing those assets on the sixth of, oh, mm-hmm. of January, which I would remind is at least six to seven weeks after Sandbank and Freed had tried to sell those assets. Um, So we had engaged with Foreign Council, Antiguan Council, to support um, the liquidators in defending against SBF's actions against us.
0: All right, so let's take those firms in in order. By my count there are four. Uh, Your Honor listed in the the motion and in the affidavits that have already been admitted. Uh, Let's take the law firm Forbes Hare. Yes. Uh, Who are they and what do they do?
3: So they are an offshore law firm that operate in multiple offshore jurisdictions such as the Cayman Islands and in the BVI. Um, they were supporting us in the drafting of the applications in response to SBF and also in response to BlockFi, actually, um, and were supporting us with submissions to the court um, in defense of those actions and also in support of the winding up of the application of, of the company um, in Antigua following the receivership order. Uh,
0: approximately how much is Forbes Hair owed for its work since the emergent chapter 11 has been filed?
3: Since the emergent chapter 11, they are owed 1.013 million.
0: Lake and Kentish, who are they and what do they do?
3: So they are Antiguan local council. So they are experts in local Antiguan and corporation law and they were enabling us to navigate the International Business Corporations Act in relation to the winding up of the debtor of the company.
0: How much is Lake and Kentish owed since the emergent Chapter 11 was
3: filed? Six 2,000.
0: Essex Court Chambers, that's uh, David Joseph, right?
3: Yes, and his Junior Counsel, Alex Readerfoot.
0: What is the relationship between those individuals, the King's Counsel and the Junior on the one hand, and Essex Court on the other hand? Could you explain to the court?
3: So um, Essex Court is, is a set of chambers which a number of individual practitioners who are um, barristers will um, form part of that court. They have a, junior, uh, they have a clerk which um, takes instructions for them, normally from solicitors um, and clients to enable them to appear in front of court. So in certain jurisdictions, um, the solicitors or the local counsel cannot appear in front of the judge. It has to be a counsel of sorts. <coughs>
0: Uh, is Essex Court a law firm
3: no it's a set of chambers at which he, which is just purely barristers
0: mr joseph uh, is mr Joseph his own law firm I'm trying to get to the to the what is the economic unit
3: he is a sole practitioner uh, so he um, the, the chambers can be useful for marketing purposes for um, being able to rely on other junior counsel or senior counsel, Um, but he is very much a sole practitioner. So he takes his own cases, um, and he he can decide whether to take those cases or not. He doesn't have to, Um, as in he can take these cases. We we instructed him to do so, and he took on this case, and he agreed to work with us on that.
0: Now, now how does the junior get paid?
3: The same way as uh, King's Counsel. So he's also a sole practitioner. He's Ultimately, I suppose, if you're looking at ambition and progress, he would like to become King's Counsel himself one day.
0: Now, in our papers, we've referred to an amount due to the Essex Court chambers. And by doing that, do you mean to say that's the amount owed to David Joseph plus the amount owed to the junior? Yes. Looking at that total, Essex Court, the two individual practitioners, what is the amount that is unpaid since the emergent Chapter 11 as well? 1.18
3: 1.18 million.
0: You had described
1: the role of King's Council in the Antiguan litigation. Let me ask a clarifying question first. When you talk about the amounts owed, 1.18 million, is that in pounds or in dollars?
3: That's in dollars.
1: Okay, thank you. Going back to Essex Court and King's
0: Council. <clears throat> Can you explain to the court why it is that the Essex court lawyers are owed a little over a million dollars and the Antiguan local council are owed about $65,000? Um,
3: because we only use the local Antiguan council for navigating local law. So what King's counsel are doing is they are presenting to the court um, the merits of the case, the merits of why that company should be wound up or why, um, as Sandbank was freed, efforts to overturn those orders should be made. Um, But local counsel only deal with the specifics of procedure, local procedure in the court and local law.
0: So I want to go back just a little bit. Before we go to Quantum, which is the last one, I want to go back to something that came up right at the beginning of the the hearing. An obvious, the assets of immersion have been seized by the Department of Justice, right? Yes. And that seizure took place in January of 2023,
3: right? Yes.
0: It might be natural for anyone to ask, including the United States trustee, why it is so important for you and these offshore professionals to, to fight so hard against the litigation that Sam bankman Free has been prosecuting. In other words, wh- why does it matter now that the assets have been seized?
3: Um, I think you have to take that in two parts, which is up until the Chapter 11 petition and thereafter, Sam bankman free fought very hard even after the DOJ has seized those assets because once you end up into a position where um, if, if we, we were just dealing with Antigua and he was trying to get those orders overturned, he would have then remained in control of those companies and those assets. And um, there is an argument as to what he may have wanted to do with those, whether it was used for, use for plea bargaining, whether it was used for other means. Um, but post the petition, it was more about still returning over the company, um, but to him, even though, as I said, the DOJ had seized those. We spoke to the DOJ about this in the call that we had with them, and, um, and we said, well, why would he want to do this? Because they were already seized. But there is clearly a personal element to this, personal benefit to him to be able to regain control of that company Um, and you can speculate on that but my personal belief is that it allows him to uh, position himself in a better opportunity also remember at that time he had not been charged um, he had been charged but he hadn't been convicted
0: and now of course sam vanquenfree has been convicted the assets are still seized do you have a view as to how the emergent case resolves vis-a-vis the seized assets
3: um, I would like to think that we could have engagement with the DOJ and with the creditors as to exactly how the provenance of funds came into emergent and who the creditors are and where the proportion of distribution of assets should be made.
0: Have you had, you or your professionals have any conversa- have had any conversation with the DOJ about resolving the matter in that way?
3: We had tried. Um, and understandably the DOJ said that they were dealing with the criminal proceedings and that they would not be able to deal with us until after the, um, trial had taken place and concluded.
0: Okay. Do you have an understanding of when the DOJ has said it is going to engage with respect to resolving things with the merger?
3: They have said that they will not be able to engage with us until after the sentencing of Sam bankman which is around the end of March next year.
0: Have they offered an explanation for why? Um,
3: I believe it's because the the second trial is is due in March and they want to wait for the conclusion of that also.
0: Have you had any conversation with representatives of FTX regarding how to resolve the relationship between immersion and FTX?
3: I have tried. Um, To say I have tried is an understatement. Um, We have believed that there could be, certainly in relation to the funding, and I'm going to step away from this, certainly in relation to the funding, we felt that we would be able to come out of that funding agreement much, much, much sooner if FTX could engage with us as to how we could deal with any further funding of the actions against SBF, but we could not get any engagement from them on that front.
0: Okay. What about BlockFi? Have you had any conversation with BlockFi?
3: Um, we have not had engagement with BlockFi. Um, they are looking to engage with us now. Um, at the beginning, they were extremely hostile towards us, um, but that was during the Antiguan proceedings where they were trying to um, prevent us from coming into a Chapter 11 process.
0: Let me go back to the to the professionals. There's one entity that we hadn't talked about, and that's Quantuma. Uh That's your firm. Yes. All right. Uh, What role is Quantum of the firm playing uh, in these proceedings?
3: So as um, independent court fiduciaries who are appointed by the court, we take our appointments personally in our own name, but we have, as as do any other firms, as does A&M, who um, acts with FTX, as does EY, who acts with um, BlockFi, as do PwC, who acts with FTX Digital. We are all under the umbrella of bigger companies that enable us to use their infrastructure such as data security, IT, insurances, HR, et cetera, et cetera. So even though we take our appointments in our own name, it is actually the firm that supports the infrastructure around that.
0: And with respect to infrastructure, does Emergent have any employees, uh, any infrastructure of its own?
3: No, it has absolutely none. Certainly none that we've identified. It was just a shell company.
0: So uh, Quantum is providing all of that support to you that you might otherwise, in a different case, get from the, from the employees of a debtor company.
3: Yes, so if we were looking to um, seek information, we have to obtain that information ourselves. Where There is certainly nobody that we were able to obtain information from independently that was willing to do so. Uh,
0: going back to Quantuma, uh, how much is Quantuma owed for work it has performed since the emergence of Chapter 11
3: um, so we are owed, um, since the Chapter 11, just in the Antiguan proceedings, or including the Chapter 11?
0: I, I want to make sure the court is informed totally, so okay. if you have a breakdown, then be I,
3: I can split that out. So in the Chapter 11 proceedings, which has included engaging with the DOJ in relation to the Robin Hood acquisi- reacquisition of the shares, engaging in the stipulation agreement, et etc., et cetera, we are owed 457000 In relation to the Antiguan proceedings itself, 94000
0: And doing the math in my head, which is always uh, unreliable, <laughs> especially as it relates to me, that sounds like we've got a total unpaid amount in the two point 2700000 seven million dollar range. Does that sound right?
3: Yes, so yes, that's right. So two point in, in relation to the Antiguan proceedings, two point two million only. So
0: I said doing math is unreliable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's Talk about the funding a little bit. If we have a 2.2 million dollar uh, uh, unpaid amount in the in relation to the Antiguan proceedings, why is the post petition funding that you're seeking approval for only 300 thousand dollars US?
3: There is a recognition that the pre petition funding agreement, um, the rates within that, are not palatable. but if we were to proceed in Antigua and defend against Sandbank and Freed, we had to pay those sole practitioners with the barristers. And that was for the Court of Appeal hearing and that was 300,000 US. It was imperative that we did that.
0: Why was that appeal so important?
3: Because if we did not appear in the Court of Appeal hearing, then by default, um, Sandbank and Freed and his lawyers would have won a summary judgment to have overturned all of the um, liquidation and therefore all of the actions prior to that.
0: You mean everything that you have done?
3: Everything that we have done.
0: But would that have put Sam Bankman-Fried in control of Emergent in general?
3: Yes, he would be the, corp- well, we are, we stand in the shoes of the company, so we are the corporate record holder for Emergent. So we stand or sit at the table with the DOJ and FGX and BlockFi and any other creditors that may now come forward. And we provide that independent, non-hostile, um, view of where the distribution should go. If Sam bankman fried was to take control of that company, he would have a very different viewpoint to how I would.
0: Meaning what as it relates to the DOJ and the discussions to come?
3: Well, I think in relation to, I think it's more important in relation to the creditors themselves, because Sam bankman fried in relation to uh, the DOJ, he could negotiate with the, with the DOJ. The, he, they could forfeit these, these assets, they could go into victim funds and they could be distributed however DOJ see fit. However, there was going to be extended litigation between BlockFi and FTX and Sandback McFreed. I believe, in relation to exactly who were the creditors of that. As we know, the pledge agreement that took place between BlockFi and Emergent, purportedly, um, would have knocked out FTX as creditors of, of those assets. Equally, if that BlockFi, if the pledge um, was d- considered invalid through the avoidance procedures, then FTX creditors would be considered um, to be beneficent of those those assets. Um, there is also a view here that you again, coming back to the provenance and the destination of funds. We have identified um, that there are funds that are self-made within Emergent that it created its own profit. We also identify that there may have been FTX digital funds that went into there. We have identified that there could be a creditor with Voyager. If FTX have a uh, avoidance with uh, Voyager and it goes the other way, Voyager could then become a creditor, and then you end up with a whole mess of trying to work out exactly who should benefit from those assets.
0: And when you explained all of that, do you attach significance to all of those findings as it relates to what might happen in the future with respect to emergent and FTX and the discussions relating to how to resolve everything? Your
2: Honor, I'm allowed beyond I think the subject matter of the dip and the professionals um, and I'm struggling to see the relevance of this and an awful lot of it has been hearsay of course also but uh, haven't stood up to interject but if we're going to hear an awful lot about what might happen in the future I just question the relevancy of all of that.
1: Well it's also speculative
0: believe that the person who decided to engage counsel to expend the funds and to take the actions that are being criticized in the objection should have the opportunity to explain why she's done what she's done.
1: I'll allow it to that extent.
0: Looking at, well, let me go back to the question that I have. The explanation you gave with respect to the findings that derived from your investigation once you got information from FTX, do you attach significance to those as it relates to the need to continue to fight with Sam Bankman-Fried over control of the company?
3: Absolutely. I think it's critical to have an independent court-appointed fiduciary to be the record holder and to stand in the shoes of the company when they're dealing with um, third parties in the DOJ.
0: Going back to the unpaid amounts, is there any funding available to Emergent during its Chapter 11 period other than the post petition financing that we're seeking approval of?
3: We had sought to obtain funding um, from other parties. We entered into a process um, of due diligence and entered into NDAs with other parties. Um, they did their due diligence and looked at. Um, what they would offer. Quite frankly, one of them was even higher Um, and the other um, withdrew from the diligence process sort of a few weeks in.
0: Let me back up a step. Uh, You said you, you went out and consulted with other potential lenders. Approximately how many other potential lenders did you approach about the possibility of providing funding? during the pendency of the emergent Chapter 11?
3: We spoke to four funders, including Fulcrum itself, um, and entered into NDAs with two.
0: The, uh, how did you select the four potential funders other than Fulcrum in order to know whom to approach?
3: Um, one was through recommendation. Um, the other is through a well-known um, international funder, litigation funder Um, who has done a lot of litigation funding in the U.S. and globally. Um, And then the third is someone that I have worked with on multiple other cases previously and I approached them directly.
0: Is it, I understand that we have, uh, you entered into two non-disclosure agreements, so we can't um, disclose the names of two of the potential funders uh, there, but can you give the court a sense of the types of institutions that you approached?
3: Um, So these are institutions um, that have been funding litigation uh, and in pecuniary situations in insolvency matters for for very many years. They are very well known in the market. Um, They are not new entrants into the market. Um, They have something like one of them has $1.8 billion under asset management in terms of asset um, cases, contingent asset cases. Um, The other I think is even higher than that. and um, Fulcrum itself obviously has interest in other cases, too.
0: When you thought about what institutions to approach, uh, did you consider that there are different parts of the lending market? You have asset-based lenders, and you have uh, traditional debtor and possession lenders, and you have other kinds of lenders. Did you select a particular facet of the marketplace that you thought was appropriate for this case?
3: We did. We looked at um, debtor and possession financing um, through specific, um, ex- well, specific firm. Um, and another one was, um, as I said, more institutionally based, but they, um, under asset uh, management. But, the, but their investment committee is, is based of, of lawyers. So they have all the ex- this experience previously, so they know exactly what they're looking into and what they're prepared to um, invest or deploy any capital into.
0: Did you get any feedback from any of those potential lenders that you approached? regarding their willingness to lend to emergent at all?
3: Um, The big issue, quite frankly, is the the fact that DOJ has seized the assets. Um, uh, That There is no um, less, less, much less certainty as to whether or not there would be any return for them. Hence why the pricing was so high Um, and we could not find any other better deal.
0: Did you ask those market participants, about whether they would lend to emergent on an unsecured basis.
3: They would not do that.
0: <laughs> in the end, none of the potential uh, funding sources was uh, willing to fund, is that right?
3: None of them were viable. And, and this was prior to, um, just to give some clarification, this was prior to the Court of Appeal hearing where we had actually sought to get Fulcrum paid out and to find a better deal in terms of um, pricing. Um, And then the Court of Appeal hearing was coming up, and then that's why this dip motion is in place in relation to the 300,000. But as I said, we had tried to sort financing prior to that um, this motion.
0: Looking at the professionals that we touched on, forbes Hare, Lake and Kentish, Essex Court, let's stay with the law firms for a moment, those three law firms. Have any of those law firms performed any services related to the administration of this Chapter 11?
3: No, absolutely not.
0: And with respect to quantuma, I think you explained that some of the services of quantuma have related to the administration of the case and some have not. Yes. go back to the size of the proposed financing just for a moment. I had asked you earlier about why $300,000 uh, here, but I want to come back to that question a little bit. Now that the appeal is, has been argued, why is it important for, uh, for Emergent to obtain this amount of post-petition financing when there's, when there's so much more that is unpaid? <coughs> Uh, to all of the professionals, including Morgan Lewis, which we haven't even talked about?
3: Um, I think it's critical because, as we've noted earlier, they are sole practitioners. Um, They don't have, they're not paid a salary. They do not have the comfort of um, huge institutions to be able to back them. Um, And they have the ability to take other cases, quite frankly, and we needed them. Um, They have performed some work for us, but this 300K um, was significant because of the Court of Appeal hearing, and as I said, it would have unwound everything afterwards. Um, We still don't have judgment. It still could be that we need them, Um, and it would be very, very bad faith not to be able to provide them with at least a quarter of what they have dealt with so far in order to get to this position.
0: Do you have an understanding of why the lawyers from Essex Court went forward and continued argue the appeal, notwithstanding the fact that they didn't receive the amount of money of post-petition financing that we're talking about today.
3: Because we all feel very, very strongly that this is a point of principle, we are very, very um, certain that, and as was the judge at the time, that these, this company should not be handed into the reins of any of the interested or hostile creditors, or to Sam Backman-Fruit himself.
0: When it came to <laughs> This particular proposed financing, the roughly $300,000 U.S., why did you select Fulcrum to provide that one?
3: Because um, as I said earlier, we had looked at trying to obtain um, financing from other institutions in the market who were not willing to engage with us um, in substance again. and quite frankly, because this is three hundred thousand, and we could have expended a lot of time and energy in dealing with new financing options where they would have to enter into the due diligence process, we would have to enter into NDAs, that would cost more than the three hundred K itself, I think.
0: Did you attempt to negotiate with Fulcrum regarding the terms under which they would lend the three hundred thousand? Yes the court about how those negotiations went
3: um, well they were very concerned because of the situation that they had been put in um, in relation to their pre-petition financing um, they absolutely understood the necessity of being able to enter into the court of appeal and to be able to defend against those actions and so also as a point of principle they they agreed that it was necessary and so they would fund that extra amount but they were not willing to fund us any further at that point in relation to any other fees
0: do you have an understanding of whether Fulcrum is, uh, would be willing to extend any more credit beyond the three hundred that we're talking about today?
3: I don't think that would be a possibility, no.
0: Did you attempt to negotiate with Fulcrum regarding the amount of the interest rate in this $300,000 advance?
3: Yes, um, and on this occasion um, it was not agreed. However, we have discussed whether there is a way to negotiate. The prepetition financing going forward,
0: and what is the status of those discussions?
3: Um, We are still in discussions at the moment.
0: This uh, this facility, the three hundred thousand dollar facility under consideration today, it has a maturity in a uh, well, just about four months, end of April, I think. Uh, Was there conversation with Fulcrum regarding? the selection of the maturity date
3: we did at the time it was based around the DOJ um, correspondence with us that stated that we would be um, in a position to engage with them after Sam bankman free sentencing which was at the end of March so we gave the additional month so that we could have some time to deal with the DOJ
0: Most of this conversation so far has been about activity in Antigua, and yet here we are uh, before a United States court. Um, why was it important to you to file a motion before Judge Dorsey to seek approval of this finance? Uh,
3: we wanted complete transparency. We wanted the approval and the protection of the U.S. court to be able to do that. Uh, we fully understand why we filed the chapter 11 petition, which was to obtain the protection of the U.S. Bankruptcy Court, particularly against um, hostile creditors, and that's what we were seeking here today, is full transparency and your assistance.
0: Coming back to the Fulcrum just for a moment, uh, have you conducted personal conversation with Fulcrum around this particular advance?
3: Yes, yes.
0: And. Did you, in the course of those conversations, did you reach any view regarding uh, uh, why Fulcrum was willing to extend this this advance?
3: Um, as touched upon earlier, it, it was it was really a point of principle. I think they really understood that our hands would be tied if we did not enter into the Court of Appeal hearings, um, and uh, it was very much a me seeking their assistance and they were willing to provide it but there was some serious discussions about whether um, they should Um, but thankfully they did.
0: There is some concern raised here regarding uh, whether Fulcrum is proceeding in good faith given the terms of the loan, the short maturity and the the high interest rate. Um, Have you reached a view regarding whether Fulcrum is proceeding in good faith?
3: I do believe they're proceeding in good faith.
0: Why do you believe that?
3: Um, I think that they are, um, as I said, it's a point of integrity and principle in relation to the basis of these proceedings and why we need King's Council. Um, And I also believe that um, we do feel that we will be able to engage with creditors and DOJ in due course as to the distribution of those assets. And I do feel that um, Fulcrum are willing to negotiate on their pricing as a result of that.
0: A moment, Your Honor? Sure. Ms. Barkas, we talked earlier about the appointment you received from the Antiguan court. The the law firms, were the law firms appointed by the court directly in Antigua? No. Were they appointed by you?
3: Uh, they were appointed by us. Yes.
0: When it comes time for the Antiguan Council to be paid, is there a process under in Antigua regarding the approval of the expenditure to make the payments?
3: Yes. Can um,
0: you tell the court what that's wha- what that entails?
3: Absolutely, the Antiguan Court is part of the Eastern Caribbean um, Courts. And all of those courts, as most jurisdictions do, when you are an independent um, court fiduciary and you're an insolvency practitioner appointed by the court in a situation such like this, you are required to provide your um, application for fees to the court for the court to approve. So needless to say, it is highly examined. We run through all of the fees, make sure that they are um, of value and that they are accurate. And we then submit the fee application to the Antiguan court and the judge will review those that fee application and determine for the him or herself whether they are reasonable and whether they have been occurred in the due course of the liquidation itself.
0: So I want to break down those steps just for a, a moment. Uh, the bills of the law firms, do they, do they go to you in the first instance?
3: They come to us in the first instance and we also supply that as part of our fee application to the court as, as supporting evidence of what has been dealt with within the liquidation.
0: When you receive the bills from the law firms, do you review them for reasonableness? Absolutely. Well, why do you do that?
3: Um, because of principle, because of integrity. Um, I have absolutely cut um, fees down before from other law firms. I will not entertain any excessive billing. Um, and and I, I have a credibility and reputation to uphold, so I put that in front of the court.
0: Then when it comes time for the application to be made to the Antiguan court, are you the... At the applicant, there or is each of the firms an applicant separately? We are the applicant. What do you have to show to the Antiguan court in order to obtain the approval?
3: Where the assets, sorry, where the fees are being um, paid out, the assets of the company, the court wants to see that those uh, fees are being paid in a proper manner and for the right reasons. So we have to show exactly what we've done. We have categories and subcategories of work streams. So we will look at administration and planning, we will look at strategy, we will look at dealing with legal investigations. There will be subcodes if there are um, specific proceedings in place, for example, the Antiguan Court and Appeal proceedings. We have a subcode for the 456 proceeding, which is the receivership, and then the 480, which is the liquidation, and also for the Chapter 11 um, work stream. So we have um, a complete set of data uh, which we then collate and set out to the court, and they are able to review that in full.
0: And you refer to categories and collating. Uh, do you exhibit the, uh, the actual bills from the law firms to the court? Yes. Is there an additional analysis that you perform that then is also provided to the court or is it just the provision of the bills to the court?
3: We will, we will submit to the court that we believe that the, the fees are properly incurred.
0: All right, thank you. I have nothing further.
1: Uh, pass yeah. Just so the parties are aware, I have to attend to something at 11.30 that's probably going to take about an hour, and then I have a 2 o'clock hearing. So the plan is going to be we'll break right before 11.30, uh, we'll come back at 1, we'll go from 1 till 2, and then if we need to we'll go, that, that the 2 o'clock hearing sh- I'm hoping won't last very long, and then we'll pick up after that hearing.
2: Ms. Barkhouse, uh, as we've met before, my name is Linda Richendurfer. I'm an attorney from the Office of the United States Trustee. And uh, I do have some questions for you. I'm going to go a little out of order at first because I want to... I have some follow-up questions to things that as you were testifying about them, and then I'll turn to some of the other documents connected with this case. Um, you were just going through the the process of how the joint liquidators submit this application to the Antiguan Court and what you do and looking at the fees and then how you pass on the information. Have you filed any of these applications yet with the Antiguan Court? No,
3: we haven't, not yet.
2: Okay. And why is that you haven't filed any yet?
3: Uh, we are not due to. Um, we have had significant dealings with, obviously, SBF and um, various different applications in place at the moment. We do have a we do have a um, hearing for directions very shortly that we are hoping will come out of the Court of Appeal judgment, and then at that point we'll be looking to submit um, a fee application, even when we are able to determine that we are able to get our fees paid out of the assets of the company. That will be decided upon by the DOJ and/or perhaps FTX and other creditors.
2: So if I follow that correctly, let me know if I don't have this right, you're not going to file an application regarding fees until you get things worked out with the DOJ and there are assets that come back to emergent?
3: Yes. Unfortunately, and sometimes in these situations, insolvency practitioners don't get paid. Um, and it's you know vastly unfair when they're dealing with principles of legal justice, but unfortunately that's the way it goes. The issue is, is that you cannot pay assets out of the company it has been seized by the DOJ and that's why we're here to ask for the dip motion financing so that we can actually obtain um, some funds um, so that we can proceed with the Court of Appeal um, judgment post thereafter.
2: Okay. In some of the, um, not in some of them I should say, in all of them, in all of the monthly operating reports that have been filed for this data, uh, there is a reference to a retainer being held by um, professionals. Uh, in connection with the Antiguan matter. Where did those
3: funds come from? They came from the pre-petition financing.
2: Okay. And um, I believe it's around $890,000? Um, no, it's about a, a million. About a million, yeah. okay. A- and I'm not including in that the retainer that was initially held by Morgan Lewis. Ah, uh,
3: right, okay. Um, yes, you're right, so it's about seven hundred. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that again? Um, so there was the retainers held. We had um, so we had a proposed retainer of one point five for Forbes Hair, um, which is held in trust, and then we have um, one million of retainers paid. Not in, uh, sorry, seven hundred thousand, not including Morgan Lewis. What was the first retainer you were talking about, or the first money you said was held in trust? So we uh, for the Forbes Hair um, fees that mm-hmm. were. Build or rather raised for us, um, we they sought a um, we we sought to have their fees reduced, which as I was saying, so I will look at fees and I will decide whether or not they're reasonable or whether they deal with other things. So they put forward a 1.6 bill. We propose 1.5, and so actually the retainers that are held in total are 700,000.
2: Okay, so and so th- that relates to you getting a reduction of their bill before any applications are filed with the Antiguan courts, correct? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Uh, the amounts that you gave us when you were being questioned by, your, by counsel as to what is owed to the four Antiguan professionals, I'll call them, those were just for amounts that were accrued after the filing of the U.S. Chapter 11 petition, correct?
3: Yes, so um, because of the fact that we were filing into the, into the U.S. Bankruptcy Court, there are of course expected administrative costs mm-hmm. um, to be dealt with within the, the bankruptcy, and so we had sought small retainers at that point in time to be able to deal with the U.S. Court um, bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were not expecting um, was to have so many actions against us by SBF. Okay. So how much,
2: if anything, is still owed to these professionals with respect to work that they performed prior to the filing of the U.S. bankruptcy court, with filing the U.S. bankruptcy case, excuse me.
3: So they were, um, so they were, um, they were paid for all of the work they had done prior to the Chapter 11 petition. Okay. So the retainers were for everything post the Chapter 11 petition to deal with just purely the administrative costs of dealing with the bankruptcy and dealing with persons such as yourself.
2: So I, I thought, though, that you had said that you have not yet made any applications to the Antiguan Court regarding payment of the professionals. No, I haven't. Are you agreeing with
3: what I just said, that you haven't made any applications? So we made an application for funding in relation to the fees okay. um, that had been incurred. We haven't made an application to the court for fees to be paid in the sense that um out of the assets of the company. Remember, the fees have being paid by a funder, not by the assets of the company. So we sought an application for the court to approve a funder to pay for the fees for those individuals. We haven't gone back to the court and asked for a fee to be paid out of the assets of the company. That's why the funder is in, mm-hmm. a, in a position of risk, because ultimately if the court decides no, then the funder has lost out their investment or their deployment of capital although the, um, the lawyers or the um, individuals up until that point would have been paid, but there may well be negotiations after that. Okay. So we would still have to go to the court and have our fees approved.
2: Okay, so the fees that were paid prior to the filing of the Chapter 11 petition have not yet been reviewed by the Antiguan Court? No, not by the Antiguan
3: Court, no. Okay, and what was the total of what was paid? So 3.3, $3.4 million um, sorry, $4.2 million was paid. But that included the retainers. Okay. And I
2: saw information in connection with your dip motion that the pre-petition debt owed to Fulcrum is at $11 million. Do I have
3: that correct? So what we have currently um, is interest currently due of 8 million, yes. So as I had discussed, um, we absolutely were convinced, obviously as it appears incorrectly, um, that we were going to be negotiating with FTX um, to pay out um, Fulcrum very soon after so the interest wouldn't have accrued in the way that it had. We also thought that we would be able to deal with the DOJ um, and perhaps deal with a release of some of those company assets to deal with the pre-petition financing and the costs incurred already. We hadn't been able to do that, and so unfortunately the interest has accrued, yes. So let me ask this question
2: differently then. How much in principle did the joint liquidators borrow prior to the petition date? So 4.2 million
3: was the principal.
2: And on top of that, as of today, an eight million dollars in interest has accrued top of the $4.2 million in principal? Yes. And what is the interest rate on the pre-petition debt? So it's 2.5 times. So like 250%? Yeah. And uh, did you do any shopping before you entered into that credit agreement? Yes, we did. And uh, how many firms did you
3: speak to regarding that? Uh, we spoke to three three firms with substantive discussions and one who was vaguely interested but then um, mm-hmm. wasn't quite.
2: Were those the same firms you spoke to when you needed the 300,000? No, different firms. Okay. One, uh, of the, one of
3: them was the same actually. Uh,
2: so was there Fulcrum one? Fulcrum. I'm sorry, was there one in addition to
3: Fulcrum that was the same?
2: Yes. You, you talk somewhat about
3: your conversations with Fulcrum. Who do you deal with primarily at Fulcrum? Um, so if I'm allowed to say um, individual names, I deal with Stuart King, Daniel Shepherd, and Matthew Hamilton.
1: Can I just ask, I want to ask a clarifying question here. I'm confused about the amount that's owed to Fulcrum. When you – it's described as a pre-petition amount. Is that pre-Chapter 11 petition yes. amount? So you borrowed this money after they filed for bankruptcy in Antigua or whatever, liquidation. Yes, <laughs> what yes. Yeah. Okay, so this is a post-petition amount in Antigua for $4.2 million at an interest rate of 250%. Is that a yes? yes? Okay. Thank you.
2: Okay. And what process, if any, did you have to go through in the Antiguan proceedings in order we had approval to enter into the pre-petition credit agreement with Fulcrum.
3: Well, we sought a ex parte application to the Antiguan court. Um, we set out who we had. Well, we set out the situation in terms of why we were seeking this, which was that um, there, it was an impecunious situation because the assets were in the U.S. and they were held elsewhere. Um, we also explained. The fact that the negotiations we'd entered into and the number of firms we'd entered into. And we asked the court whether it was reasonable to be able to seek this funding to be able to defend against the various applications Mm -hmm. that were against us, including, um, as I say, BlockFi and Sandbag McFreed at the time.
2: Okay, and how detailed was your description in that application to the court regarding the terms of the funding?
3: It was detailed in that we appeared in the court the same way we do now, and we set out exactly. We made some submissions to the court. We supplied an affidavit for that as well as the application. So it was detailed. Yes.
2: I guess I'm getting at: Did you set out in that application the amount of the the amount of funds that were being borrowed, which was 4.2 million, and the interest rate that was going to? Yes. And was that approved by the Antiguan Court? Yes. Do you have an order that approves that? Yes. Um, I don't believe that's been attached to any of your declarations, for instance, not to the DIP or the first day declaration. Was there a reason why it wasn't attached?
3: Um, I can't answer to that. I can't speak to that. At the time, it was an ex-party application um, because we had wanted to protect um, the lender in terms of that. It ended up in the public domain anyway. Um, But no, I can't speak to why it's not there.
2: The order (laughs) that was obtained, approving that, was that obtained prior to the Chapter 11 petition being filed? Yes. Was that order obtained prior to the DOJ seizing the assets?
3: No. So we had entered into a term sheet with the funder prior to the assets being seized, the funder had committed at that point in time, and we proceeded on to obtain the application, or rather to seek the application in front of the court and obtain the order for funding.
2: So was the 250% interest rate applicable even before the DOJ
3: seized emergence assets? Uh, We had looked at a range of um, interest rates. Um, but I can understand why Fulcrum was seeking for a two times, 2.5 times, their capital investment on the basis of the DOJ assets, or uh, the DOJ seizing the assets.
1: I'm but sorry, i I d- don't think that answered the question. The question is, well, why don't you repeat the question?
2: Not going to remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the question was, did the 250% interest rate was that agreed to with Fulcrum? before the DOJ seized the assets? Uh,
3: It was in the initial term sheet. Um, It was because we had engaged with various other funders, um, and they were looking at 30% off. So the
1: answer to the question is yes. Yes. Thank you.
2: Do you have any idea um, as to when the Antiguan Appellate Court may roll? I do not. Um, Are you aware of any deadlines by which they must roll? No. When is the last time you talked to anyone from the um, U.S. Department of Justice? about the seized assets?
3: I can't remember the exact date but I'm going to suggest it was four weeks ago when we had a call with them.
2: And was that when they advised you that they couldn't talk to you until after um, Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried was sentenced?
3: They set out to us what was going to be the next steps and they said that that was exactly the same conversation that they had had with FTX and BlockFi that they would not be engaging with the distribution of those assets until after the, the um, sentencing of Sanbank Bank of Freed, yes.
2: Uh, now, you also mentioned uh, that the Antiguan court had entered a winding-up order on March twenty third, 2023. Uh, what does that order provide?
3: So that meant that the company was in full liquidation rather than provisional liquidation. Mm-hmm. So that meant that the company was considered insolvent and that it was in the interests of justice to ensure that that company was looked after by liquidators rather than by um, other parties, other interested parties. And so that order was then provided.
2: Uh, now, in order to be declared insolvent, I'm presuming uh, that the court looked into what the potential liabilities were of a margin?
3: Yes. We submitted those them, yes.
2: And what were the potential liabilities that were submitted?
3: Well, all of the assets that are held by the DOJ. They're all up for, um, there are multiple interested parties um, that believe those assets are theirs. In any event, they were received by Emergent from other parties. That Emergent had no other um, purpose other than to hold those shares. There are no other assets to speak of. Those assets are seized and they will be distributed accordingly.
2: So if I have this correct then, uh, the information that was provided to the Antiguan court was that the assets of emergent are equal to the liabilities of emergent.
3: So the assets of. Th- that was a
2: yes no question, I'm
3: sorry. Sorry, sorry. Can you repeat the question? The assets of emergent are equal to the liabilities. I think there are. The
2: information that you presented yeah. to the Antiguan court regarding the insolvency of emergent, based on what you just said, did you present to the court that the assets. And the liabilities of emergent
3: are the same? Um, in fact, we presented that the liabilities were more because at that particular point in time, we had received um, information from Blockfire as to what they believed their claim was, and it was in excess of the current value of the assets at that point in time, because remember those are shares and they were going up and down right. in terms of value. So we had to present at that point in time that Blockfire's interest in it was higher than the value of the shares currently being held.
2: Okay. Are you familiar with something uh, that we do in Chapter 11 U.S. bankruptcy cases which is get a bar date for creditors to file claims? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's my understanding that there's been no motion yet made for a bar date in this case. Is that correct? No,
3: I think we are. No, we haven't. Okay.
2: Uh, So, at this point in time, you do not know what the potential amount of liabilities are with respect to the Chapter 11 proceeding?
3: No, not in detail, no, but as I described earlier. In fact, our investigation showed there may okay. be multiple questions. It's We're going to be a very questions. long time in front of poor Judge yeah. Dorsey.
1: Answer the question, please, that's asked.
3: No.
2: Okay. Now, you gave us a little bit of your background and answers to questions from counsel. Have you ever been involved or seen a scenario before where a lender was receiving 250% interest on a loan?
3: Um, not that degree, no, but I have seen very high percentages before, yes, in high value. Um, Again,
2: we're going to be here. I'm going to ask follow-up okay. questions. Don't worry. Your council has the right to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you haven't seen 250. Have you ever seen anything over 100%? Um, 130%. And did that also involve an insolvent
3: entity? Um, yes, but also some of the litigation funding agreements, and I need to explain this, some of the litigation funders agreements will have 130%, but they will also have two times capital deployed. Mm-hmm. So the additional 30% will be on recoveries, but you will have 2.5 times on the capital deployed. So there are various different ways of dealing with litigation funding.
2: Now you said litigation funding, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you had looked at different type of funding that you could get for this entity. Litigation funding is a different animal than a debtor-in-possession loan,
3: isn't it? Yes, it is, but this funding was for the Antiguan. Uh, again, yes, no.
2: Okay. <laughs> Please. No. I no. ask the court again. Please just
1: answer the question you're okay. asked. Your counsel will have the opportunity to follow up. If he okay. deems it necessary.
3: Apologies, Your Honor.
2: And we do not have litigation funding in this case, do we? We No. So are you aware of any situations where the interest rate was over 100% that didn't involve a litigation funding arrangement? No. Um, How long have you been at- Ms.
1: Richendorfer, is this a good breaking point?
2: Uh, Yes, it would be, Your Honor.
1: Okay, why don't we uh, take a recess then, uh, and we'll reconvene at 1 o'clock. Ms. Barkhouse, during the break, uh, you are not permitted to speak to anyone about your testimony, including counsel, Uh, and uh, we will reconvene at 1 p.m. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. Whenever
2: uh, you are ready. Again, for the record, Linda Richendorfer from the Office of the United States Trustee. I, I have a few more follow up questions, and then I want to ask about some documents real quickly. So, the pre petition loan of the $4.2 million, um, does that have a lien on the assets that were seized by the U.S. government?
3: It has a lien on the assets of the company, but that was, but ha- those have been now been seized, obviously. Okay.
2: And when the if the three hundred thousand dollars debt is
3: approved, uh, who is that going to be paid out to? That would be paid to King's Counsel David Joseph.
2: Uh, does the debtor have any assets that are located outside of the United States? No. Now, was the pre-petition loan subject to New York law?
3: It was subject to the governing law. was. Um, I'd have to double-check that, actually. It was to New York law.
2: And the proposed uh, DIP term sheet is also subject to New York law,
3: correct? It would be an extension of that, so yes.
2: Okay, so it's an extension of the original. Yes. Okay.
3: Sorry, my correction, England and Wales. Sorry. So
2: the original pre-petition loan was subject to the law of England, England and, and Wales. Wales. Yeah. And the DIP loan, which is supposed to be an extension of that, is subject to New York law.
3: To No, an extension of this, it would still be England and Wales. Okay. Um, if you turn to the DIP term sheet, um, I do believe...
2: I mean, we'll get to that in a minute, but I do believe that there is a provision in there that says that it's New York, governed by New York law, but we'll right. get to that it in might, a minute. It
3: might, to be fair, it may have changed, because we did discuss which which jurisdiction it should be in, Okay. but I'm looking at this document in front of me, so the definitive agreement may well be New York. And what is the document you're looking at in front of you? The Liquidation Funding Agreement. I'm sorry, what is it again? Liquidation Funding Agreement. And is that the one that was entered
2: into pre-petition?
3: So this is the one that was um, This was executed by myself and Tony on the 2nd of February.
2: Your, Your Honor, I guess I would register objection at this point in time. It was my understanding, I guess it was my fault I didn't directly ask, that the witness had in front of her the exhibits that we were told were being yeah. used by the... Uh, that are today and I don't believe that is attached to any of the exhibits
1: is that one of the exhibits
0: no you
2: are
1: then you need to give a copy to counsel so she can review what she's like
2: right. and is there anything else that is I guess concerned that there may be other things that are in the binder that uh, the witness has been just turn over
1: of? turn over the whole binder to counsel so yeah, she we can see yeah we were not
2: given there. a copy and I didn't ask for one because I thought it was just what counsel had identified would be used at today's hearing. My
1: bad. You have a copy of the binder?
2: I do, Your Honor. May I first? Yes. So
1: you th- want to take some time to review it before we continue?
2: Your, Your Honor, I'll go through the questions I have right now. Um, I don't, is this the same binder that was given to the court?
1: I don't have a binder.
2: Oh, you don't have a binder? So we were both working in the dark.
1: Yes, apparently.
2: Um, I think it's important that the court have it also, but I'll put that to the side right now. Young, if let me just have a second.
1: Sure.
2: Um, What are you and the other joint liquidator doing while you wait for the appeals court to issue its ruling? Uh,
3: We are continuing to administer the bankruptcy. We are seeking still to talk to BlockFi and FTX. Um, and we finalized our analysis of the um, production data that was given to us recently. And that production data was from FTX, correct? FTX and BlockFi, but FTX was the most, uh, the most mm-hmm. use.
2: And that data identified which of the FTX co-debtors were the source of funds that flowed through to Emergent, correct? Sorry, can you repeat the question? And l- let me ask a different way. Uh, The data that you've referred to that you are analyzing, is that data that reflects how funds found their way into emergent? Yes. Are you aware that there are others who are also conducting that same investigation in connection with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court proceeding?
3: I have no insight into any other uh, trustees or any other investigative firms dealings with any data or what they may have. We only ask for that data from FTX in order to define exactly where the funds came into emergent, which is our debtor, and that's what we asked for, and that's what we received and we analyzed. We have a duty to make sure that we understand the company.
2: Now, you talked about exercising your business judgment. The original term sheet that you agreed to Included a release of fulcrum that extended not only to the dip loan, but also to the prepetition loan, correct? Yes, it did. That has since been though removed, correct? The release? Yes. For, for the prepetition loan. I'm so I'm not sure, quite sure I understand. it. We'll, we'll deal with that with the court. I do. There have been language changes agreed to it, the order that should have taken care of that issue. Um, in connection with exercise mm-hmm. of your business judgment, um, did, do you know what the usury usury laws are of New York? The sorry usury usury laws, regarding the amount of interest that can be charged
3: per loan. So we were dealing with the Antiguan proceedings at the time. Uh, It was prior to the Chapter 11 petition, so we were not engaged. That's not my question. My question just asks you. No, I don't. But but as I would point out, we were dealing with Antiguan law at the time.
2: Okay, but in terms of the diploma, okay, we'll get to that in a minute then. Let's do the following. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions about the monthly operating reports that were filed. Um, I'm going to ask you about... The July 31, August 31, and October 31, and I have copies of all of these for everyone. Your Honor, may I approach? Yes, thank you. Please first look at the monthly operating report for the period ending July 31, 2023. It is docket item 2202, filed with the bankruptcy court on August 18, 2023. Um, I do note that this was signed by the other joint liquidator. Um, do you review these before they are filed?
3: Um, Ms. Shukla reviews them. She's responsible for them, um, but I don't review them in detail. She 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 and I have discussions over them, and she sends me her website. So if you turn
2: to – well, first, if we could turn to page 14 of 20. If you look at the top, there's a header that goes across the page, um, and it says page 14 of 20. I'm looking at, um, it says Part 2, Assets and Liability Status, Post-Petition Payables. Uh, and if you could look over in that section, don't need you to read that out loud. Uh, and it makes reference there to a cross-border protocol. And my question is whether or not the joint
3: liquidators plan to move forward with the cross-border
2: protocol. We
3: did submit this to the U.S. Trustee, and it's been with the U.S. Trustee for quite some time, so we were waiting for a response on that. So if you got a response from the
2: U.S. trustee tomorrow, you would agree to enter into that and we would try to put forth a
3: joint cross-border protocol that would cover proceedings in both jurisdictions. That was our intention to make sure that there was transparency and cooperation between both jurisdictions.
2: So to your knowledge, the U.S. trustee's office has not been told that the debtor will not enter into a cross-border insolvency protocol. Sorry. So the debtor has not been told? No, I'm sorry. The U.S. Trustee has not been told, to your knowledge, that the debtor, at this point in time, is not interested in entering into a cross-border protocol. Absolutely not. We've always been interested in, in a cross-border protocol. Okay. And um, your understanding was that you were waiting for comments from the U.S. Trustee's Office. Um, what steps, to your knowledge, were taken in order to get those comments from the U.S. trustee's
3: office? Will we engage with legal counsel to engage with yourselves, the U.S. trustee, mm-hmm. to be able to move that forward? Mm-hmm. Do you know when those discussions first started? Um, they were, I believe, in around June or July this year. But I might—that's I, I, from. That may be wrong, completely wrong. Okay. Then, if
2: we could go to page sixteen of twenty. So this is a balance sheet as of July 31st. Yes. Okay, under assets, um, we see the cash, that was before the shares were um, sold, correct? Yes. And then uh, funds retainer held by Morgan Lewis Bacchius and then it says retainer held by other professionals, $891,888.82. So which professionals? hold retainers
3: that equal that amount so we have a retainer Um, we hold a retainer on trust for um, Forbes hair just look at my sheet Um, there is a retainer that was held by Essex court a retainer for Lake and Kentish and a retainer for Marantz
2: And to your knowledge, as of today, have any of those professionals taken the retainer money into into their own accounts? No. And if the DIP order is entered... No, they
1: haven't, or no, you don't know? No,
2: they haven't. To my
3: knowledge, no, they haven't.
2: Uh, And to your knowledge, if the DIP order is entered today, um, do excuse me, let me start over again. My mouth is very dry. To your knowledge, if the DIP order is entered today, will any of those professionals move funds from their retainer accounts into their own accounts?
3: No, they wouldn't on the basis of the dip motion today, no. And to your knowledge are any, when will they? When it is approved. So for example, when Morgan Lewis asked to apply theirs, they sought my approval, which Mm -hmm. I gave, and no other um, professionals have asked for that approval. So the professional that will be paid the three hundred thousand dollars, aren't they holding how much were they holding in retainer? They had two hundred and ninety one thousand on retainer, but to my knowledge they have not applied that. They that may be incorrect, but to my knowledge they have not. Okay, so we're here for a dip motion for three hundred thousand dollars to pay
2: to one given professional and they're holding around two hundred ninety one thousand dollars. A retainer
3: right but now. these are two sole practitioners who have no salaries and they are looking to... It th- that was a yes-no question, ma'am. I'm sorry. We're going to be here all day, so unfortunately. It, there was a case of um, the 300000 It may well be that they have applied the 291000 and therefore seeking the additional 300000 Okay, so um, we'll get to that in a minute. So you don't know what they're doing with those funds. It, it, what I don't know for certain is whether or not they have applied those specific funds to fees already. What we have asked for is an additional 300000 to see them through the Court of Appeal Hearing, which is in addition to the fees already incurred. Okay, so if you could leave this one open, um,
2: I'm just going to ask you about one more line item. Post-petition accrued unpaid cost, 3370000 million, I'm rounding. And does that relate to the pre-petition loan from Fulcrum? Sorry. It's under liabilities, post-petition. But, sorry, sorry. Accrued unpaid costs. Yes. Or is it the time. line up above that says post-petition secured
3: creditors of 4.1? No, the post-petition accrued unpaid costs is in relation to post-petition.
2: Okay, so what makes up the $3.3 million? That would be the fees incurred to date. by your Antiguan professionals. That would be uh, including Morgan Lewis. And we have here, second line under liabilities, pre-petition secured creditors, 4.1 million. Yes. That's the Fulcrum pre-petition loan, right? Yes. Okay, if you now could take a look at the report for the period ending August 31st, 2023, which is docket item 2649. And I'm going to ask you to please turn to page 17 of 21, which is the balance sheet as of August 31, 2023. Yes. Uh, There is a new line item under liabilities, which is called post-petition accrued unpaid funding cost. It's approximately $7.74 million dollars what does that relate to that would be the interest the interest owed to fulcrum fulcrum for the prepetition loan right yes okay and then looking up above the second line item pre-petition secured creditors in july the amount was 4.1 and in august the amount was 4.5 million i'm rounding um, what accounts for the difference
3: in just a moment. Sure. I don't seem to see a breakdown of that within this document, so that I can check for myself.
2: Do you know why the interest owed on the pre-petition fulcrum loan was reported in the monthly operating report for August, and we don't see it in the July report?
3: No, I'm not clear on that. I would have to refresh my memory and come back to you on that. Okay. And then
2: the last monthly offering report that I gave you is the one for October. This is the last one that's been filed by the debtor. The November one's not due yet. And I'm looking at Docket Item 4018. We could, again, go to the uh, balance sheet, which is on page 17 of 21. Under assets, I see that there is now a zero, or line, next to the retainer funds held by MLB, and I, and I believe that is described elsewhere, either in this report or the prior one, that, that was based on their fee application being approved by this court. So, if any of the retainer funds have been taken into income by other professionals, would that also be reflected in the monthly operating report? It should be, yes. Okay. And the amount that is listed under liabilities, uh, the pre-petition secured creditors amount is the same, and the unpaid Funding cost is the same. Um, however, interest has continued to accrue. Correct on the yes. petition. Okay. Um, is the is it compound interest?
3: Yes. I don't uh, think
2: math um, was not my strong suit, which is why no. I went to law school. with With interest of two hundred and fifty percent accruing. And on compound interest, um, in how many months does the
3: loan double, triple? And I, um, sorry, just to correct, it, the way that the litigation funding agreement was set out was that it was two hundred fifty percent up until a certain date, which was one hundred and eighty days, and then it would increase to a different amount after that. You said litigation funding agreement again. The yes prepetition I know. was an asset-based
2: funding agreement, right? It was a financing agreement for the liquidation. For the liquidation. Yes. And now we're talking about a financing agreement for the debtor in possession to proceed with its bankruptcy proceeding in the U.S., correct? Okay. So, in fact, that is one of the things that my um, co-counsel here has pointed out to me. There's, There's several documents here that were not, let me see here, There, there's.
1: I have a question okay. before we proceed. What does the rate increase to after 180 days?
2: Your Honor, it's in the folder, I will tell you that. It's in the binder. You
1: yeah. have to witness next. I was going to
2: suggest, if you turn to uh, document number 14, which says term sheet dated January 13, 2023, the second page tells you what the compensation is, and it goes through the different rates and how they will increase over time. Did you find that?
3: Yes. Oh, okay. I sorry. didn't realize that you had. Okay. Sorry, I'll so the court,
2: else. you said that the 250000 was for the first 180 days, um, and we're beyond that right now, right? Yes, that's right. And what does it go to between 180 and 270 days? So
3: it would increase to, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong document. Sorry, I am slightly confused because the document I have in front of me has got not the date signed on it, so I'm wondering if it's the right one. Well, um, if you turn
2: to the last page of the document that's in here as number 14, there are two signatures there.
3: Um, and so that's the term sheet? That's the term sheet. Right, right. okay, sorry, not the litigation. It's funding agreement.
2: Well, let me ask you first, is that so, your signature on the last page here? Yes, it is. It is. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong document. Okay, okay. yes, this is number 14, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And so if you turn to the second page, it's the term sheet. What is the interest between 180 and 270 days? 275%. And then what does the interest go to between 270 and 360 days? 300%. Okay, so February 2nd. So we're 10 months into this. So we're just about at the end of the 300%, correct? Yes. And then what does the interest rate go to when it exceeds 360 days?
3: 325% cap.
2: Your Honor, there are four documents that are in this binder that were not introduced into evidence by debtor's counsel. Um, and I would like time at some point to review them. I might have a question or two. I don't want to take up time right now, though, um, unless the court prefers it done that way. And um, I also believe that they are an important part of this record for this debtor-in-possession funding. Do you have any other
1: other questions other than the documents? That, or are you done with your cross otherwise?
2: Um, I, I do have some other questions. Okay. Why don't we finish your cross, mm-hmm.
1: and I will allow you um, the ability to come back later. Do you have an objection to them doing redirect?
2: No, Your Honor, I don't. Okay,
1: so we'll do your finish across, redirect, and then you can come back with questions about the documents that weren't previously provided.
2: Because they're, they're not long, but they're substantial in yeah. terms of going through the terms. Okay, um, one of the things that I do believe you also have in your binder up there, Ms. Barkhouse, is your, uh, First state declaration. Your declaration supported debtors chapter 11 petition? Yes. Okay. And uh, that is, that was filed in the emergent case 23-10149 at docket item 3. And I had a question this declaration as Exhibit B. Is the JPL order, it says?
3: I don't have that in mind. Sorry. Tab
2: 13? It is. It um, is. looks like it wasn't put into your binder it's 12. Oh, Sorry. 12. Okay. okay I'm I was looking at the first day declaration which isn't in here but that's okay the order I think is the same uh, Okay, it is the same document. So, attached to your declaration in support of the DIP motion, which is found at Document Item 4098, Exhibit B, there too, is the Antigua Court's Joint Provisional Order. And I have a question there. In paragraph four, and specifically, I'm going to ask you about paragraph 4, subpart D. So I'll give you a minute to refresh your recollection. You ready? Yes. Okay. So the court order states at 4D Quote, subject to the prior approval of the court, obtain funding on commercial terms for the performance of their duties including in connection with any legal proceedings for which funding is permitted under the applicable law, end quote. Is this the provision under which the joint liquidators entered into the pre-petition funding agreement?
3: So what this does is it allows us to enter into negotiations with relation to it, but we seek the sanction of the court to execute So what was your business
2: judgment that the pre-petition loan constituted commercial terms?
3: Yes, and I just wanted to clarify a point. Okay, if you want to clarify something, I do need to clarify a point. Um, Earlier when we were talking about what the terms were prior to the DOJ seizing the assets, I refreshed my memory, and in fact we were talking at 100% and 125%. After the DOJ seized the assets, the funder therefore increased their percentage rates and we felt that we had no option at that point to continue on those terms. And what refreshed your recollection uh, on that? Yeah. Um, just re-looking
2: at the documents at the back of this. Yeah, you can have to walk through that again for me. I know that the judge looked
3: like he was puzzled. I'm not understanding the point, if you could just. So the question earlier is whether I'd ent- ent- entered into uh, discussions with Fulcrum immediately on 250%. The answer to that is actually no. They were on lower terms, but after the DOJ seized the assets, and that made the uh, risk to the funder much higher, the pricing mechanism was altered to reflect that. So the
2: January 13th, 2023 term sheet does not reflect the original terms under which Fulcrum was going to
3: provide the prepetition loan. We had entered into negotiations with Fulcrum in late December. We had sought funding because at that point the funds were. Frozen um, at our request and at, um, amongst others as well with the brokerage, um, and we did not have funds to enter into the various proceedings that were going on in Antigua, so we needed to seek funding at that particular point. Yeah, in and time. that
2: wasn't my, my question. My question, with all due respect, was: was there a term sheet based on what you've told us? A term sheet, that not had, an executed and it, one. No. Wait
1: till she's done asking the question. Sorry, please.
2: apologies. Was the return sheet, even if it wasn't executed, that contained in it interest rates that were lower than those that we just went through, that were part of the January thirteenth, twenty twenty three term sheet? Yes. So this was the
3: um, the document that you don't have in your binder. So, so you a, have
2: other documents with you that aren't even in this binder.
3: So. The document that I have in front of me, which is at tab 16, is a liquidation funding agreement. Okay. I don't know if you have this. I didn't until two minutes ago. Right, so it is this document that correction was executed but not dated. Okay, I don't see signatures.
2: Oh, I see signatures. Okay. Yep. So you're telling me the document that's in here at tab 16 has interest rates in it that are different than what is in the term sheet at tab 14? Yes,
3: but those were... Yes, because it was a such a fast-moving thing. So that this okay. was, I think this you've was answered prior. the question. It's I think, no, Your Honor, yes. this is
2: an area that will be
3: better and
2: more easily by myself once I can review these documents I'm getting to
1: a point where I think I need to uh, adjourn this hearing um, so that you have time to review these documents that were never produced the witness has been reviewing them on the stand I don't have them um, it's this is unacceptable uh, so I'm con- I'm going to continue this hearing until tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock we'll come back then and we'll finish the cross-examination we'll go from there okay all right we're adjourned until tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. thank you
2: your honor